Last year, when I was sorting through books preparing for our move to New Jersey, I came across one that I had forgotten about. It's called The Children's Book of Hymns, and it was published in 1920. Uh, Now, two things make this book particularly interesting. One is the beautiful illustrations by an artist named Cicely Barker. The other is the handwritten inscription on the inside cover. To Alan, love from Dennis, Christmas 1940. Alan was my father and Dennis was his elder brother. So I am moved to ask the question, who gives their six-year-old brother a hymnal for Christmas? (laughs) Seriously? Nice one, Uncle Dennis. Can you imagine my dad on Christmas morning when he tore off the wrapping paper? What? I know there's a war on, but a hymnal? I'm six. So if you have a six-year-old in your life, here's what I want you to do. Help yourself to a blue hymnal in front of you. Uh, If the ushers say anything, just say, I told you to. Take it home, wrap it, and give it to your six-year-old on Christmas morning. Then, in the new year, tell me how that's working for them. Another six-year-old, Katie Lee from North London, was quoted in a British newspaper. There is one God, she said, and he's the creator of heaven. God is Jesus' father. God has glasses, I think. I don't think God has animals in the air. I think God has animals on the ground, and he comes down and feeds them. I think God has not got a stove in the air. He comes down and has takeouts. (laughs) He tries lots of different sorts because there's lots of people in the world. God likes Indian and Japanese, but I think he likes McDonald's best. (laughs) I think he has coffee to keep him warm. He is normally fair, but sometimes not. Daddy's secretary was only 29 when she died in a car crash. Why was God not looking? On another continent, a person of hate murders people at prayer, and we ask Katie's question. Another continent, an earthquake kills thousands, and we ask Katie's question. Another continent, and a dictator gasses his people and buries the bodies, and we ask... Katie's question. You have asked it. I know you have. If you have not asked Katie's question, then sorry to break the news to you, but you are probably not human. I'd get that looked at if I were you. I'm human, and I've asked it way more often than you would think a priest should. Perhaps we didn't ask it in exactly Katie's words, why wasn't God looking, but the point was the same. Maybe you repeated Mary's accusation in the raw aftermath of the death of Lazarus. We read it just now. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When I rip off the wrapping paper 
on Christmas morning, I want to find the answer to Katie's question. In those days of tragic loss, in those moments of crushing pain, in these years of living side by side with tragedy, evil and hate, our faith in the goodness of God is pummeled by the truth of what we see with our eyes and feel in our bodies. Our belief in a loving God and our experience of a world in tatters fight for supremacy. In our pain, we punch our pillows, we weep ourselves to sleep, we cry to God the question that has torn at the hearts of men and women since Eden. We scream, why wasn't God looking? When I rip off the paper, I want to find the answer to Katie's question. If God had only been watching, the accident wouldn't have happened. The tumour wouldn't have grown. The market wouldn't have crashed. The job wouldn't have gone. The marriage wouldn't have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When I rip off the paper, I want to find the answer to Katie's question. The Jesus who stood at the grave of his friend Lazarus and wept also knows the pain of tragedy, the burn of injustice, the ache of loss. This day, this week, this life, the humanity of God touches the humanity of us. Jesus is our brother in pain, our partner in suffering. He sits in solidarity with us in the ash heap of dreams, the rubble of naive expectations that if we just lived decent lives, then God would spare us the pain. When I rip off the paper, I find not the answer to Katie's question, that actually would do me no good because my puny human mind would not understand that answer. Instead, we find a God who stands with us, weeps with us, grieves with us. But more than that, when we rip off the paper, we receive a God who has not just stood with us in our pain, but has done something about it in the death and resurrection of his son, and will one day do something more, something unimaginably more. Because the old girl isn't doing very well these days. She is feeling her age. Her bones creak, her joints grate, her whole body groans under the ever-hastening passage of time. Tiredness suffocates her like a shroud. She yearns for a new day, a fresh age when she will be reinvigorated. Her suffering will end, her brokenness healed, and her very being transformed in the blinking of an eye. She's been called many things in her long and eventful life. Some call her Mother Earth. Some refer to her as the Blue Planet. Others, the third rock from the sun. We Christians know and revere her as God's creation. Whatever you call her, you must agree, the old girl isn't doing very well these days.
So what will become of her? Well, hear the word of the Lord. Good news. Great news. A word so splendid, so glorious, so completely outside our ability to even imagine that John, in our reading from Revelation, can only use pictures to describe it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The day is coming when Katie's question will melt away in a sea of love. God will rip the paper off a new creation, perfect And be our eternal companion. But for now, well, for now we catch a glimpse of it, sometimes a bit. That Sunday evening in 1932 started out like any other in that down at heel district of downtown Sydney. People worse for drink perched on the edge of the curb. Those without permanent homes huddled under trees. Transactions, most dangerous, all illegal, were conducted in the shadows. This scene was nothing new for Arthur Stace. He was a child of these streets. He'd learned to hustle, to dodge, to scrape and somehow to stay alive. Before he had reached his teenage years, Arthur was an alcoholic. No time for the luxury of school. Survival was more important. He made ends meet by pimping for his sister's brothel, a career punctuated by 15 years in prison. But that night, God had plans for Arthur Stace. Not fully sure what he was doing, Arthur stumbled into Burton Street Baptist Tabernacle and even though he had been drinking all day, sobriety flooded his brain. He sat transfixed as the Reverend John Ridley preached a sermon on living in the light of eternity. Ridley made an urgent and captivating plea. Eternity, eternity, oh that this word could be emblazoned across the streets of Sydney. Arthur was compelled. God had seized his heart and filled it with a mission. Taking the preacher rather too literally, Arthur spotted a stick of yellow chalk, hurried into the dark street, bent down and wrote one word on the footpath. Even though he was functionally illiterate and could barely write his own name, the word eternity flowed out of his chalk in a beautiful copper plate script. Well, radical conversions often don't last. 
So you will be half expecting me to say that Arthur's faith in God and his enthusiasm to proclaim the good news gradually waned and died. But not Arthur. Every night for the next 35 years, while the city of Sydney slept, Arthur Stace would take some chalk and write in immaculate handwriting, eternity, all over the city, on sidewalks, entrances to train stations, the walls of public buildings, anywhere he thought would grab people's attention, over half a million times. Everywhere the people of Sydney walked, they saw the word eternity and they thought and talked. And the man who wrote eternity became a celebrity, even though no one knew who he was, apart from a few police officers who occasionally caught him committing his acts of vandalism and turned a blind eye. Arthur Stace died in 1967, aged 83. But today... In Sydney, you can still see the word eternity in three places. On Arthur's gravestone in Botany Cemetery. On a brass plaque near St Andrew's Cathedral, placed as an eternal memorial to Arthur. And inside the huge high bell tower of Sydney's main post office. In the 40s, the tower had been dismantled and was then rebuilt in the 60s. And when the bell was brought out of storage, the workers installing it noticed deep inside the word eternity in Arthur's chalk. But Arthur's story is not finished there. As Australia welcomed the year 2000, the word eternity was emblazoned not across the streets of Sydney, but on the face of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, in Arthur Stace's copper plate handwriting in 50-foot electronic letters. And because the year 2000 reached Sydney just about before everywhere else on earth, it was seen on TV by billions of people around the globe. Of all the words spoken in the history of humankind, the one chosen by city authorities to be proclaimed on their world-famous landmark as creation entered the third millennium since Christ, the one was scrawled by an illiterate, addicted ex-pimp to remind people that this is not the end. That we live, in our, we live our eight score years and five in the context of something so amazing that we can't get our minds around it. An eternity of life, of love, of God. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Tear off the paper today and enjoy God's gift. Amen.